Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg with Cinematics. Just FYI, here is the current episode, the latest episode of Cinematics. After that episode, this is episode 166, is finished. You will be treated to my interview with director Kelvin Mao and editor Rob Chatlin. They are buddies. They also both produced the movie. So it's produced by Rob Chatlin and Kelvin Mao. Kelvin Mao is the director and Rob Chatlin is the editor. Just interviewed them today for Dave Stevens' Drawn to Perfection, the documentary. It's digital on demand December 2nd. The reason why I'm tacking this interview after the cinematics episode is they have a current Kickstarter thingamabob that ends on December 2nd. So time is of the essence. Wanted to put that interview up as well as soon as this episode is finished. All right, guys. Thanks again. And yeah. Each week, nearly a dozen movies are released theatrically. 40 films a month, more than 400 a year. That's a plethora of cinema. Too much cinema. You'd have to be an addict to see all that. But don't fret. We've got you covered. This is Cinematics. Hello, everyone. It's another week of Cinematics, a new episode. This is episode number 166. 166. We are covering a whole bunch of movies. This is our second official, I guess, what is it? Uh, port over episode from Find Your Film. Find Your Film, our previous podcast, has been dead for the last two weeks. Wait, Bruce and Eric, co-hosts here over at Cinematics. It is not dead. Bruce Berkey, your thoughts on Find Your Film not being dead? I, I like undead things, so tell me more about this, Greg. I'll tell you more. <laughs> Did you know, Eric Holmes, as of yesterday, you actually thought the Find Your Film podcast feed was dead. Am I correct on that, sir? Yeah, and then the uh, the podcast EMTs came by and revived it. So. Revived it? Okay, so let's <laughs> or, look. I'm ca- sort of never be the, quite the same, but close never, enough, I suppose. Never be quite the same. You're such a dark place, Eric Holmes. <laughs> it's because you, sh- you shaved your mustache. So did I. I had a mustache on for about several days. Bruce Perky is always will have the beard and the mustache. Do you even have a mustache, Bruce, because you have the whole facial hair? Is mustache part of the whole suit of hairiness on your face would you say it's like you would not say you have a mustache correct i wouldn't say so i mean i guess i guess it's part of the beard i've never really thought about that i'm not a a facial hair aficionado but uh i'll i'll take your advice on whatever the case is on that (laughs) eric holmes does bruce perky have a mustache or not or is it does he just have what how would you describe his face with a beard and the scruff and the the mustache is it just one part one big suit one dapper suit on the face what i would call it a full face mustache Full face mustache. Well, Eric Holmes is correct. Correct. There is not going to be a full face mustachioed mustache on Find Your Film, but I am actually changing this. I actually really love physical media. So the Find Your Film podcast will be alive and kind of well, or maybe unwell. I'll be covering DVD and Blu-ray releases for our Find Your Film podcast feed listeners for cinematics. If you've been listening to our FYF podcast, it's still going, it's still like Eric said, it's going to be different. A lot of it is just going to be coverage on physical media. So if you're interested in that, I'll, I'll also be doing my dream is to actually interview some people in the in the DVD and Blu-ray field, physical media field as well to talk about it. So it'll be an interesting sort of a creative journey on my part. And then Eric and Bruce, when they have time down the road because they are busy doing extra movie reviews for cinematics as well as interviews for cinematics, they, they'll pop in and again now and again for our find your film podcast feed. So what do you think of that, Eric, Bruce, any, uh, any input? Do you have any uh, questions about find your film? Because 
it sounds amorphous. I'm just, I might be just making it up right now. Any questions from uh, my, my students, my, 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 you know, my co-host, my students, any questions, student number one, Bruce Berkey, got, got any questions? Uh, teacher, are we allowed to contribute if we have any <laughs> physical media to talk about? No, you're not. It's uh, teacher, uh, student number two. What do you, yeah, yes, yes, you are. Of, co- of course, Bruce. Yeah. Yes. Uh, student number two. Eric do, I, do, do I have to stay in the basement or can I come out and see the sun shine once in a while? Please? Okay. I just, I just tasted Eric's ribs that he just cooked over, over in his domicile. I, I was not a fan. You're going to have to stay in the basement. Oh, no. Uh, you know, you're, you're okay because you're, you're actually drinking that apple juice from find your, or find your yes. film glassware, which is still alive and well. So you can get out of the basement very, very, very beautiful soon. Eric Holmes, I, can you tease any kind? Are you going to be doing any interviews down the road or, or do you get out? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, we got a couple of them lined up, and they should be coming out in the near future. That's about all mm-hmm. I can say on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Uh, I think uh, we might have some it's... other surprises, uh, perhaps on the cinematic page, Cinematics Patreon. And we'll okay. see, see what comes of that. Eric Holmes, this is called Cinematics. It's not called Vegamatics. Vegamatics, it's not called Vegamatics. You're being vague, very vague and mysterious. I like that. It's kind of, mm-hmm. you're giving some questions. You're teasing the audience. Maybe Patreon, maybe some interesting interviews from yeah. your home. It, it, it's Vegamatic right now, but once I blend up the Vegamatic, it'll become <laughs> a nice meal for everyone to enjoy. Men at work, a Vegamite sandwich. Do you have any Vegamite sandwiches for us, Bruce Perky, for this episode? Any, oh, no, wait. Do you have 31 reasons why you're a cinephile or a podcaster? Give us 31 reasons, Bruce. Oh, yes, yes. So I'm going to do my... Th- 31. So last year I did 31 for 22. And this year I'm doing 31 for, well, I take it back. Last year I did 31 for 21. This year I'm doing 31 for 22, which is my favorite 31 movies, one for each day of December. And I will start posting that tomorrow as of, well, whenever you get this, it'll probably be already out one or two of those. And uh, I'm going to pretty much focus on stuff that we really like that isn't as giant releases there might be a few that you everyone's heard about, but there'll be some that you probably only would have heard about if you listened to Find Your Film earlier in the year, or maybe a couple episodes of Cinematics. So uh, I would bet that anybody could find something that they either forgot about or haven't heard about when I start posting those. Bruce Berger will be posting these 31 movies, obviously sequentially, or no, counting them down, counting them down over, our cin- uh, over on our Cinematics Facebook group page. Look, the Facebook group thing is you're thinking cinematics i do i am a shill i do plug our podcast here and there but there are some more importantly there are some really interesting cinephiles like eric and bruce giving daily movie recommendations there's people like matt steelman who's basically a an unpaid reviewer how many how many movies has matt steelman over the last several years interviewed for our facebook group do you guys eric do you have a a guesstimation on our buddy matt steelman member at least 69 at least probably okay. more a very family show probably. but i love i love i i love 69 you know what actually it's look, just a number uh, it's uh, nothing special about it on the fa- there's nothing special about the number 69 i actually donated it to a patreon which we're going to be talking about in a second and i was thinking of you, of you eric holmes i actually it was at 68 i bumped it up to 69 and then i said you know what <laughs> i'm going to be talking about the patreon today so i bumped it i'm sorry I bumped it up to $70 for a Patreon, or not a Patreon, for a Kickstarter that we're going to talk about wrapped up in a, one of the reviews this week. So a lot of stuff going on regarding this week on cinematics, some really good stuff. We're covering a Korean film called Hunt and Bruce and Eric. It says on the Google Doc that they've seen it. I forgot to add that Greg has also seen Hunt. It's in theaters and VOD this Friday. That's one of the movies we're going to be covering. 
what's another movie we're covering, Bruce? I think our Shutter is. Are we, do we have another Shutter release that we're? I think we've we've reviewed Shutter movies every single week since we've since our inception. Same just time. about, just about, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, we're gonna do. I just saw it was in our little screener thing, and it looked odd. So I thought, let's watch a wounded fawn. Mm, a wounded fawn. It hits Shutter exclusively on Shutter on Thursday, December first. Finally, we're doing Eric Holmes. Are you? Were you ever a fan of the Rocketeer comic book, the Rocketeer film? Were you drawn? Were you drawn to any of these kind of subjects? What's the other documentary do, are, that we're covering this week? Yeah, this other documentary. I, I I was quite drawn to it. We'll see if it was perfection or not. But it's a <laughs> uh, Dave Stevens drawn to perfection a documentary about the comic book artist or just artist David Stevens. Yeah, Dave Stevens. He is the creator of the Rocketeer. Very interesting documentary. It is a talking head documentary with a lot of Dave Stevens footage. And I actually interviewed the director as well and the editor today before we started this podcast recording. And that interview will be on our podcast feed as well here over at Cinematics. What's in the box, Bruce, for this week? What are we going to cover in the box? We are covering the best Corbucci movie, right? (laughs) Uh, This is Super Fuzz, also known as Super Snoopers from 1980. So this is a movie called Super Fuzz or Super Snoopers. It's the Corbucci reference and Bruce alluded to very quickly. Director, Italian filmmaker, Sergio Corbucci. A lot of you filmmakers, not a lot of you fans, a lot of you listeners, audience members, you have no idea who Sergio Corbucci is. I'm assuming Eric and I had a vague knowledge of Corbucci maybe several years ago, and then he and I decided to watch, what is it called? The the grand the great silence. It was the grand silence. One of those. The Remember great that? silence. The great yeah. silence. Thank you, Eric, for the great silence. What what do you have to? The greats. Did you? Oh wait, you saw Super Fuzz as well. Little teaser. Does Super Fuzz reach the stratospheric heights of that Western, The Great Silence? Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Word, no. But I would disagree. It, I would it, say it, it goes much higher by the end of the movie. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's so, uh, Super Fuzz is one of those I saw as a kid. And like I, well, we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, it's got a lot of uh, nostalgia factor for me. Yeah. Okay. So then, oh, cool nostalgia. Yeah, I I think I remember that the actual trailer and some information about Super Fuzz when I was a kid, and I remember really wanting to see that movie. I'm thinking that movie might star uh, Terrence Hill or some one of those actors. Anyways, we'll get to that review. Actually, Bruce Perky did. You you actually was you were doing your homework plus more. You have another rec- you have one recommendation this week on on cinematics, Bruce? Yes, I have a movie. It's we've had a lot of movies by. I'm sorry, my brain is not working right now. Um, oh, lots Lord. of movies this year. This year by Naomi Watts. It's been a weird year, and this is an older movie by Naomi Watts that I forgot or never knew existed, and that is a movie called Down from 2001. And you just decided because you've decided just because we're a big Naomi Watts fan, we've covered a lot of Naomi Watts films. You've thought maybe this might be good. I've been seeing a lot of buzz about it being kind of, I think it's kind of resurfaced. It kind of was sort of lost for a while and it's supposed to be kind of a, a really bad and weird movie and it is surprisingly um, awful, but also fun. So I said, that sounds like something for me. Okay. Very, very cool. So let's get to our featured reviews. Also, we're wishing Anderson Cowan and his family the best. They are currently, as of this recording, somewhere in Iceland. Eric or Bruce, would you ever go to Iceland down the road? Is that a country you want? Why? Why? You're shaking your head. Yes. Why, Bruce? If you had that, all that cash and everything, you'd bring your family to Iceland. What attracts you to that land? 
Well, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's got uh, lots of geothermal activity. Um, I would want to see Rams or where Rams was filmed. Love and I would also want to, like Anderson, probably have a knockdown drag out fight with Bjork at some point. I just assumed that would happen. <laughs> very, very good. Okay. So we love Anderson. Of course, his family's wonderful and he'll be back very, very soon within a week and a half or, or two. So Eric Holmes, no, no comments in Iceland. You're not, you're, you're, you're no, no, no. For you. Um, I, yeah. I would like to, if I could somehow just uh, teleport there, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you know this, I'm a really big guy, really tall guy. So me and planes don't really uh, mesh very well. Together. I forget How tall are you, Eric? I remember meeting you and realizing that you're tall. Are six, you six, somewhere other six, six three, six, four, six, maybe. Three, I, yeah. I, I don't know, but also I'm getting older. So I'm shrinking too. So maybe mm-hmm. I'm an inch or two shorter than when you saw me last. Yeah. My spine's like compacting into itself. Yeah. I'm shrinking too and getting shorter. So let's go with a uh, hunt the first film for our featured film. It's a Korean movie. I don't even know how to explain this movie. It's directed by Lee Jung Jae and it stars. Yeah. It stars Lee Jung Jae. And um, yeah, it's an interesting movie. It's, it centers on two high ranking officials in Korea. They're government officials. One of them works for the KCIA and one of them works for this, I guess maybe another domestic unit. They're two different branches of, I guess, One's law enforcement, one's intelligence. Anyways, they're the heads of these respective bureaus, and they come to blows because they realize there might be a, a um, assassination attempt on the president in Korea. They they try to stop one over in the states. I believe was it the states when it was, with the beginning of the movie. There's there's basically an assassination attempt on the South Korean president, and they need to uncover who and who is behind this attempt and this future attempt on the present. So what happens is both of them, from the higher ups, there is a discovery that there may be a mole within the organization. It could either come from the KCIA or the other organization. So what happens is both of these groups end up investigating each other throughout the story. The story runs 131 minutes. It remind me, reminded me a lot of that movie, The Departed, the Martin Scorsese film, The Departed, even parts of the score a little bit. Not a big, uh, that's not a complaint. I love The Departed. And I loved Hunt. Lots of action. I don't know if there's any kind of complaints. The, the narrative itself can get really complicated if you're not watching. Like, for example, before we started recording, Eric was finishing cooking up his ribs. If you are cooking ribs and you are watching Hunt on your respective television and you come back five minutes later, you may be lost. So just the only thing <laughs> is if you're watching Hunt, you're going to, I don't know if you guys agree, you're going to have to watch this movie from one minute to the end of it. You just can't stop. If you stop, pause your screen and come back to it. Okay. There, there are no scenes that you, you can miss it. it it's not, it will get really confusing. I absolutely loved hunt. Let's start with Eric Holmes. Your thoughts on this movie. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, starring Lee Jung Jae and directed by Lee Jung Jae. And I think a lot of people know him best from, uh, he was the main guy in squid game. Yeah. And uh, this is, a, is is basically an action political thriller action movie. There was some really cool, like like you said, it does get uh, kind of in the weeds, but political thrillers tend to do that. So um, you know, if you you know seen stuff like that, you kind of know what to expect. You weren't lost, so you were okay. You you were. I, I, I got I got lost, but I I got the broad strokes. And in these type of movies, that's kind of all I need. Like I don't know all the machinations. I'm not really following it. Kind of like um. Um, I'm trying to think of a. I'm trying to think of a good example. And Infernal so, Affairs, like, like a like a Law and Order episode. Like there was so much going on that I'm like, eh, okay, I'm just, I'm I'm just I'm just kind of following the the main through line, like all the machinations. I'm not really concerning myself too much with, but I I followed it well enough. 
Dude, there's some great freaking action scenes. Great, <laughs> great freaking action. <laughs> but, Cinematics, uh, Eric Holmes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Uh, but the, they, there's some great action scenes. There's uh, one part where uh, Lee Jung Jae, he's like uh, kind of towards the third act where he's like on the ground. He's like chained up. And it's one shot and it's just pulling him. And then he's like pulling up. It, it Like you see a close up of his face. So it looks like it could be a stunt, but they're not doing a stunt with the main actor slash director. They're just yanking him by his arm. So I imagine it's like a CGI scene, but it's like looks real clean. That that final bit, man, oh man, that was fantastic. Yes. Um, so you get you get you get the political intrigue of the. Uh, I think uh, they start to some characters start to find out that uh, there's um, political leaders that are not above board, which is you know I guess par for the course when it comes to political leaders, and they want to overthrow the government, do it in kind of a spy sort of way. And it just kind of builds and builds and comes to that head. And I think the best part of this movie is the ending because that action scene at the end, it's kind of everything's building up to this. And then when it finally gets there, like you're aware of all the characters and what needs to happen. And it's just everything set up so well that when it finally gets to that point, I'm just like, oh, yeah, just, you know, rooting for the Rooting for the whole thing, uh, getting nervous before everything happens because it's real suspenseful. And yeah, this is this is a great movie. I love this bit. movie. The ending, the actual ending itself. I, you know, we had the links, so I had the ability to actually watch the final moments. And the final moment, I actually missed watching it. And it's one of these things that if you have this on VOD, you can go back and watch the ending one more time and have it clarified. Hopefully. I'm wondering if either you, Eric, you or Bruce maybe saw the ending again, but maybe I, I missed it the first time. I saw it the second time and I go, Oh, so that happened. Okay. Yeah. Very, very cool. I, actually, I, I got a, a, like the Mission Impossible movies. That would be yes. a good one to compare this to because Mission Impossible, like the plot gets way too convoluted, but you can follow it well enough. That's kind of, that's kind of what this does. And then just ends up with like a, a heat or Sicario level shootout that was just, I love everything about this. <laughs> <laughs> Chef's kiss, Eric Holmes. You know, Bruce, a couple of months ago, I think actually today, Peter Beta from Middle Class Film Class said a couple of months ago, he saw Hunt and he was a little bit underwhelmed by the movie. Do you agree with Pete in a certain sense? Do you, can you see why maybe this movie didn't check a couple of boxes for him? Because I, I, I flip for this movie as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends. It depends on what you like from your action movies and what you're looking for and maybe your expectation too. So I'm I'm notoriously not a big action guy, uh, but I enjoyed this movie overall uh, quite a bit as well. I think that for me, it, it definitely, kind of like what Eric says, I, I think it definitely is kind of confusing. You really do have to focus really closely to figure out who's doing what. But I mean, at, on the other side of that, all you really need to know is there's someone inside the organization that's the bad guy, or maybe not the bad guy, and everyone's going to double cross each other at some point in this movie. That's pretty much all you have to know. Yeah. And then just kind of keep track of that as you go. But as as convoluted and, and as confusing as the plot itself might be, or not be, it's not terrible. The other side of that is the action is done incredibly well. And I would say there's at least, for me, I thought there was at least three to four action set pieces that were really good, like really, really fun to watch and really uh, kinetic and almost the exact opposite of the plot. Action sequences can be really confusing. And I thought these action sequences were very not confusing. I thought they were very 
easy to follow and really effective, which I thought was kind of surprising because you could imagine it like conveying to the action sequences themselves and being confusing too, you know, uh, a la what, uh, pick your uh, Transformer movie or Michael Bay action set piece. But these weren't like that. These were really effective and they really had a, a real punchy, like I said, a kinetic energy to them. I really appreciated that. Uh, the only, <laughs> on the action or violent side of things, the only downside I would have on this, I would say there was probably about three too many beat down interrogations in this movie. I feel like there was a, a, a minimum of six or seven of them. And I was like, okay, does everyone just torture each other for information? Because that happened so many times in this movie that I was kind of like, do we, why? Why are we going to do another one of these? But that's Bruce, a, too a much, minor too component. much. Too Somebody much torture in this movie? Three too few beat <laughs> Oh, Eric. I just thought Eric. they got kind of repetitive, where the action itself kept me interested. Every time an action set piece came on, and I once again, I'm not really the target audience for that, but I found these consistently um, fun to watch and exciting. Uh, and there were some multiple different ones that I thought were really good. There's one where, uh, I'm not going to describe it, there's there's just a lot of them and they're good. So, yeah, nice. I was I was enjoying it pretty much throughout. I, was, I wasn't bored. I was confused, but I wasn't bored. How's that? I wasn't bored whatsoever. The to Eric's point, that final action sequence really—it's—it's it, nerve-wracking. You once you see all the pieces and and how they react on the on the board, it you think you think you know what's going to happen, and then something else happens, and it is wow. <laughs> Just yeah, this I wish they made more movies like this in the in the U.S. I'm I'll be honest, uh, yeah. So this this movie is pretty much a high level movie for me. I'm giving Hunt. Four and a half out of five stars. Bruce Perky, you're rating on Hunt. I'll probably go a little lower, but I'll, I'll go four stars, but I, I quite liked it. Okay, very good. And you, Eric Holmes, what is your rating? Yeah, I, I think I'm with Bruce. I really wanted to give a three-star banger, but I think it's kind of elevated above that a little bit. So, yeah, we'll go, we'll go four stars on this. Okay, four stars for Eric and Bruce for Hunt. I'm giving it four and a half. In theaters and VOD, December 2nd via Magnolia Pictures. Very interesting film. And guys, anything with barrier to entries? I guess, Bruce, like the requisite, if you don't like subtitles and multi-layered plots. Yeah, I mean, I I would say if if you're really not an action fan, I would say that would probably put you out of the loop on this. But I mean, I'm like a, I'm like a okay for action person. But if you really, really just don't like action movies, it's probably not for you. Okay. Also, the the subtitles go pretty quick because they do talk like the scenes where they talk. They talk a lot, so the subtitles tend to go fast. But again, like this is kind of one of those like like we mentioned with Mission Impossible. If, if you're getting a bit lost, just kind of plow through it. You'll you'll pick it up well enough, I, I think. And when it gets to the action scenes, they're so well done that you know, yeah, go for it. Okay, go for it. All right, four from Bruce and Eric, and I uh, gave it four and a half. That is Hunt Friday POD. And in theaters via Magnolia Pictures. Now, next up is a shutter release. Thank you, Eric Holmes. Eric Holmes is actually typing the ratings on our Google Doc. You are doing the Lord's work, Eric Holmes. And I, I just want to say the Lord's am, work. I don't I, know. Bringing... I am the Lord. <laughs> you are. Oh my gosh, I'm Catholic. <laughs> I'm going to start praying now. Okay, so Wounded Fawn, it hits not theaters, but it hits shutter on December 1st. Well, I, I don't even know how to even explain this. Can you guys help me? It's like, it starts with sent. It's inspired by Greek mythology. There's a woman named Meredith, and she is a museum curator. She's played by Sarah Lind. You might have seen Sarah Lind last year, a couple of years back, in Jacob's Wife. But Meredith is a curator who is getting back in the dating pool. She's she has this really romantic 
weekend getaway with this good looking guy played by Josh Rubin, the director behind Werewolves Within. He is very convincing in his role. And I can say this, it's not a spoiler because it says it here on the actual plot synopsis for this movie. He's the, he is a charming serial killer, charming serial killer. And so what happens is they, and she starts realizing that this date when they're going to be in this really remote cabin, even though he's good looking and he has beautiful furniture and he has a great taste in art, there is something off regarding this guy. And what happens is you see initially a chess game between the two. Will she survive the evening or the weekend or will she end up being his latest victim? So that is a premise for a wounded fawn. I'm giving you a plot synopsis because the rest of the movie is this weird, surreal, psychedelic tale that I think will either really impress you. Speaking of impressive, the movie was shot on 16 millimeter. So visually, it is gorgeous, especially if you love, quote, watching films on film. Yes, this is catnip. But does it work as a story? Does it work as a cinematic experience? Let's go to Bruce Perky first with A Wounded Fawn. Obviously, they get A++ credit for the 16 millimeter, but you mm-hmm. give them extra points for everything else. Uh, I give them a lot of points. First of all, it's 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 unique. It's a, definitely a, a different kind of movie than I've seen a lot of. The first, like you said, the first, I wouldn't say maybe half, is pretty traditional almost giallo flavored. It has little elements of that and kind of this, uh, like you said, cat and mouse, like, is she going to figure it out and survive? Is he going to attack her and kill her? Like what's going to happen? Then it takes a turn. We'll just kind of leave it at that. Uh, I really did like the the look and the style of this quite a bit, in, including the camera movements. I thought there were some pretty, pretty cool choices on the way that they um, kind of dolly and pan through this house and, kind of they kind of cat and mouse with us and the camera as well as the characters so we i I thought it was pretty effective how that was done and i really liked his kind of charming slash a a hole character (laughs) am i allowed to say that (laughs) yes of course Um, um uh and he speaking of josh rubin we know him because he directed if i remember correctly written and directed the werewolves within werewolves within and yeah so he's done a few things yeah yeah uh, so he's kind of a known person in the kind of the indie horror scene, but here he's just straight up acting. Now, the second half of the movie, I loved it and kind of didn't love it because it is all over the place. It gets really weird, sometimes goofy, sometimes just straight surreal, sometimes Greek mythology. I, I did not know what to make of the second half, but I didn't totally hate it. I kind of loved parts of it. Parts of it even got almost like evil dead or something like they got really goofy uh which i didn't hate that either so i'm kind of mixed on this movie but overall i think i'm on the plus side on this movie very very good what about you eric holmes there's the second half it is very without giving too much away there is a whole world that is being built with on a supernatural level so right off the top just wondering if that section of the movie enthralled you or intrigued you as far as the world building that was going on with a wounded fawn yeah, there's there's a lot I liked about this. First of all, uh, I was surprised that Travis Steven, uh, Stevens, the director, did Jacob's Wife because I remember liking Jacob's Wife enough. Yeah, but like when I I didn't know that he was the same guy that did this. I'm watching this. I'm like, oh man, who did this? I looked at. Him, I was like, that's the same guy that did Jacob's Wife. 
man, all right, leveling up here. That's that's awesome. <laughs> um, then, of course, Josh Rubin uh, looked familiar, and we just saw him in Blood Relatives. And I don't think we covered that before, but Blood Relatives on Shutter, check that one out. But this, yeah, this had uh, Dario Argento stank all over it, and the uh, the kind of sixteen. I, I don't know if it was shot in sixteen millimeter, but it certainly yeah, it certainly looked like it. Oh, yeah. it was. All right. Yeah, well, definitely. That, it's not surprising because it kind of had that. Uh, um, not real crisp look to it, kind of soft look to it as 16 millimeter does. And it, it looked really good. Um, and of course it gets weird at the end, which I like weird. <laughs> so this was kind of, this is kind of right up my alley. Um, stay I for the end credits, by the way, stay for the end credits. I, yes, I, was, end credits just, I was just about to say, I don't Sorry. normally say, Hey, check out those end credits, but that end credits scene was <laughs> I was like, man, they're really going for it. This is awesome. Also, like the editing. Uh, normally, you don't want to point out editing because if you can notice it, it's not good. Um, but in this case, I, I just kind of notice it because they do a lot of things with uh, someone will say something and then they'll like cut to his hand. That's like his hands like grip something a little tighter. And so like they, they do those little editing tricks. They kind of uh, Tell a story in and of itself. Well, editing always tells a story. That was a dumb thing to say, but you, you get the idea. Like it kind of, uh, the editing and this kind of accents kind of feelings more and tells a story visually a lot more. And so that was really good. That there was a lot to like in this movie. Uh, it's not going to be for everyone, obviously, because it gets really weird, but. If you can go for some weird, I would say give it a shot. I mean, it's on shutter and you have shutter, don't you? You listening, you do have shutter, right? I don't know why you wouldn't, but <laughs> they better have Shutter. If you don't get Shutter and watch Wounded Fawn because it's pretty good. Well, look, Eric, to Bruce's point, you're going to, and I, I go to this uh, all the time with you, but to the to the well. But people who who won't like this movie, a Wounded Fawn, meaning so you you bought into this whole story and everything. What's the barrier to entry? Uh, would you warn this against certain people? I would uh, warn it against people that um, don't like interesting movies and don't like good movies. And I would also warn it against uh, people that, like if you don't like just straight up weirdness, because it gets kind of I don't say David Lynch weird because it's not quite that. It, it's more more on the more along the lines of Dario Argento. And if you don't like Dario Argento movies, this is probably not your uh, cup of tea because uh, it, it it does start off a lot like uh, what was that fresh it's got a lot mm-hmm. of similar DNA to Fresh. This goes in wildly different ways. But yeah, if you don't like Dario Argento movies, whether the look or the style or anything of that, I would stay far away from this. Or maybe get a little closer to it. <laughs> and then maybe that will get you a little closer to Dario Argento, which is where you need to be, I think. Also wanted to mention the performances from Sarah Lind and Josh Rubin. If they don't give, if they don't hammer out solid performances, this movie, in my opinion, does not work. I mean, it will work on a maybe a visceral visual level but i think they really hold and anchor this narrative together pretty well and it does get very surreal and out there and you're gonna wonder what's going on here but i just fell for this movie a wounded fawn for me gets four four out of five stars bruce Berge, your rating yeah i think i'm right with you i think i'm four stars even though like we said there's a little spots where it may or may not catch you because the tone goes so many places in that final third or whatever it is I, I appreciate the way it went for it. And once again, I want to reiterate uh, what Eric said. He he really steps it up with his style and, and command just all in all aspects of filmmaking, I think, in this movie. So I'm really interested to see what else he puts out there. Yeah. 
And look, maybe it might not have cost you the first time or me caught me the first time, Bruce, but I think actually on a rewatch, this might be even just an upscale just because there's so many things going on that it's just, it's really, look, I've, I read some reviews. I describe this as art horror in many, in many ways, but I think it has some of those touches as well. Stuff, stuff that actually went over my head because I'm pretty much an idiot. Now, Eric Holmes, your rating on a wounded fawn. I'm going four and a half on this with room to grow because I I went back and watched like certain scenes again. And beyond all the stuff that we talked about, there's like a bunch of really cool filmmaking tricks they do in this that I'd like, you know, like that there's a scene where she's looking out the window and they, they do that, that thing with the reflection that looks really cool. Like they got, they got a bunch of like, I mean, these are not new camera tricks. These are like old tricks, but they use a lot of them in this and they use a lot of them to great effect. So I think this would be one I'd want to go back to and just kind of kind of pull apart. And it, it's almost like watching film school in, in, in certain ways. And yeah, th- this is really good. And I think I'm I, I think I'll like it more as I as I watch it more. Curious. Well, this is right out, out of the blue, Eric, but you've been working on a film for a couple of years. Just your dream project. If you had your druthers and you had the resources, would you ever want to shoot on film or you think digital is very convenient and you could do what, whatever you want on digital and it's a lot easier process. But if you had the time and the resources, would shooting on film be a, a great viable creative option for you? If I had the time and resources, I just get a movie made. I don't care what it's shot on. <laughs> I mean, a good it, point. It, 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 it'd be fun. Like I, I did a long time ago in our uh, art class in, in high school, you know, we did like animated things on uh, it was like eight millimeter or something. It'd be fun, but it'd probably be a pain in the butt. I think overall, um, one of the great things about digital is it's convenient, easy, and um, also finding film and then finding a place that can process it, and then eventually yeah. you'll get a process and put to digital. So really, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna shoot on film and put it on digital so we can edit it. It's like, well, why, why bother? Why bother? Yeah, but do bother I can with tell you. I can oh. tell you why to bother. Okay. okay. Go for it. Just heard, I just heard today, uh, I was listening to the Joe Dante podcast, and he was talking about how many, many films have been lost or good films have been lost because they didn't shoot on film. Because if they only have it on digital, every time they transfer to a new medium, they only have that to start from. But if they have film as a master, they can always remaster that to a higher level of digital format. Plus, the filmmaker can actually keep the physical it's like having a master for your, your music. So well, in that case, uh, I defer to Joe Dante and yeah. everything I said is stupid and never listen to me. <laughs> I never, <laughs> I heard that literally heard that today. And I was like, I never <laughs> thought about that. And he was talking about one of his movies that'll never have anything better than DVD quality. Cause he only has a digital copy of it. Yeah. yeah. So. I was thinking for one second, is Eric Holmes going to go against the, the king of cinema? No, will not. <laughs> it, 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 if the director of uh, if the director of Gremlin says I need to put my head in the oven and breathe until I can't anymore, I might have to do that. It's like, ah, oh, he's got a point. <laughs> That's a lot of love. I wouldn't do that for Brian De Palma. Who would you? Who should? I never wondered. Who would, would you do that for anybody, Bruce? Who 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 would come closest? And I know you'd say no at the end. So Dante is Eric's. Brian De Palma is mine. Who's yours? Who's your person, Bruce? Probably John Carpenter. Why? I should have answered. I should have known that answer. I should have known. He's good. Oh, he's we, we, good. we just, uh, me and Steve just watched John Carpenter's Vampires uh, last week. It doesn't hold up that well, but it's still fun to watch. 
It's, yeah. That's what most of it is. Even the ones that aren't the best, they're still yeah. fun to watch. That's yeah, John, John Carpenter's Vampires is dumb, but like it, if you're in the mood for like dumb kind of over the top, uh, you know, you know how John Carpenter can be sometimes. It's like dumb, but it's fun. Yeah. John Carpenter's Vampires is good stuff. Speaking of fun, Dave Stevens' Drawn to Perfection. It's on digital and on demand December 2nd. It's a documentary straight up on Dave Stevens. He is a creative rocketeer. Being an artist is a very solitary lifestyle. You sit in a room by yourself and you draw. Dave Stevens was a once-in-a-lifetime artist. I know what I want out of it, and I demand everything out of myself. I saw the Rocketeer, and I was like, what is this? Looks like some kind of scrawny, Doc savage looking guy with a rocket pack. God, this guy can draw. His lines were so clean and so sharp. There's a certain magic involved. That passion for what he's doing. That threw in everything I loved as a kid and just stirred up the pot. How do you take this masterpiece and move it to the screen? The thing about The Rocketeer, we were pitching at it as an adventure movie, like Doc Savage or Indiana Jones. In the comic, the Jenny character was based on Betty Page. Holy cow, now there, now you're talking. She's been my ideal female figure since I was a kid. The thing about him is he loved women, and not in a dirty way, he just loved women. He captured the spark in their eyes. I think he just really wanted to see me naked. <laughs> That's what got him into all kinds of trouble. <laughs> in the back of my mind, I always thought, Dave wants to be a real outlaw. Good girl during the day, and the naughty girl at night. Dave definitely lived his life the way he drew. Oh my God, he was a pain in the <laughs> Everything had to be perfect. This is what it's like to pursue a life as a creative individual. It's like a diamond, you know, you can't rush a diamond. You changed the way I saw life, beauty, reality, love. He's unique, and uh, he just wish there was more of it. You want to know who David Stevens was? Look at what he drew. The reason why it's called Drawn to Perfection is he, throughout his entire life, was a perfectionist. Even though he could draw and sketch and he was a great artist, a lot of storyboard artists as well, comic book artists, creator of The Rocketeer, it took him a while to get his panels done, his artwork finished, because he was really aiming for that sense of perfection. That documentary really spotlights his love for and passion for actually being the best at his craft. It also shows his friendship with Betty Page, some really interesting stuff about his life, his love for women and drawing them as in their figures and all, and all their beauty and just his love for day, the days gone by via the story of the Rocketeer. So very interesting documentary. Again, it is directed by Kelvin Mao. It's a really interesting list of who's who as far as the interviewees. One of them is, you might know, it, there's Thomas Jane in it. There's for people who are really into comic books, there's Jamie Hernandez, I believe, and it's Adam Hughes, Joe director Joe Johnston from The Rocketeer shows up. Some really some really interesting people are interviewed in Dave Stevens' Drawn to Perfection. I'm a comic book fan, so I gleaned a lot out of this movie, and I love The Rocketeer. Eric Holmes, for people who do not love The Rocketeer, are not into comic books, I mean, is there... Uh, is this an inside baseball documentary or is this just a fun documentary for people to to learn from as well? 
It, it kind of is. And and I, I do like comic books. I, I used to read them all. It, it's the, the superhero movies that I'm getting kind of tired of. Um, but this is a superhero movie of a different sort, I would suppose. But I, this was, uh, you know, it, it's kind of talking head, you know, actually not kind of, it is a talking head documentary. So you kind of got to be interested in the subject matter to begin with. But I was, you know, I, I, I was kind of interested in Dave Stevens' life and kind of his process. Um, I do like how they kind of leaned on, uh, oh, he was a perfectionist, but they didn't uh, lionize him for it. It's like, this is why he didn't get work. Like he spent too much time trying to make it perfect. And, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, people talk about that when writing. It's like, I'm going to write, write it. I'm going to rewrite it. No, I can't do anything. It's not perfect yet. Oh, I got to make it perfect before I start the next sentence, so on and so forth to the point where you're spending so much time trying to make something perfect, which by the way, doesn't exist. Perfection doesn't exist in art. Um, there's always something you can make better, but eventually you got to get it done. And if you're not going to get it done, then what's the point? And so he had to deal with a lot of that. Uh, had an interesting relationship with his, uh, with his, uh, wife, uh, ex-wife yeah. who still ex-wife, became yeah. his, who was yeah. still his friend after that, that relationship was really interesting. And it was just, uh, it was also neat to see how, um, he would go from one art style to another. He, he was always constantly growing, which even though the perfection thing is a trap that a lot of people fall into, I do appreciate someone that's, uh, you know, I, I've done that. You know, I, I've done that thing and I had fun with it, but I'm going to move on to this thing now and see and kind of start from the beginning and see how well I can get with that. So that was pretty inspiring. I, I think overall it's a, a good documentary. Well, not a good documentary. It's a good story. And I enjoyed learning about his life. But ultimately, this is going to be something that if you're into it, you're going to like it. And if you're watching, go, I don't I don't care about these you know, 20 pages, pictures, you know, maybe, maybe it's not going to be for you, but it, it does have a lot to say just about different types of art and uh, the process and how it's done. And so I think there's value added, added in that respect for sure. Very cool. Bruce, did you echo Eric's sentiments on this doc? Yeah, I'm pretty similar. I, I, I was interested, but I also like, I like, uh, like early on, I was really into like Frank Frazetta and a lot of those like fantasy you know, uh, artists from that era and also things like, um, you know, heavy metal magazine and stuff like that. And there's a bit of overlap with what he's doing here. And of course it does get into a little bit of how he did storyboarding for like Spielberg and stuff. I thought that was really interesting, but also like uh, Eric says that he might've shot himself in the foot because if he could have been faster and a little less perfectionist, he probably could have just kept on that boat for the rest of his life, you know, just being a master, uh, storyboard artist and then using parlaying that into whatever other kind of comic book stuff he wanted to do. That being said, he, he was really successful when what he did do was like highly revered. So all of that stuff was interesting to me, but I think also it will be interesting if it's interesting to you. You know what I mean? I don't think it's going to like draw in that broad audience. On the other side, uh, a couple other aspects I think that could be interesting to people. It has a pretty good um, view of kind of early kind of nerd culture kind of starting to slowly kind of take hold because now it's such a kind of a broad thing now that it's, it's just kind of accepted, but it kind of shows you like, you know, what was Comic-Con like when he was going there? You know, what was actual comic book culture like before it became, you know, just kind of a mainstream accepted thing that, you know, anyone would be into it. It wasn't, it was very much a niche 
kind of a thing. And then the last thing is, and it only touches on a little bit. And I think if it could have gone deeper and it may not have been able to, because he isn't there to really talk about it. This could almost become an R crumb kind of a thing because he's definitely got his obsessions and his fetishes uh, that kind of come out in his artwork and you get around the edges of that a little bit. But I think that stuff was really interesting, and I would have even liked to have heard more of that. That being said, I, I was entertained enough by it, but I think it's kind of a mild um, a mild recommend to people, depending kind of on what your interests are when it comes around comic books and comic book art. Yeah, I'm on-again, off-again comic book fan, and this documentary actually is making me want to go to my local comic book store. I want to pick up more comics. And so it just reignited my passion for the form. I had no idea about The Rocketeer or Dave Stevens, even though I knew knew a thing or two about, about comics. So this was very value-added for me, like Eric was saying. For me, Dave, and also, as of, as we're recording this, the Kickstarter is almost over. I don't know if you guys heard about the, about the Kickstarter from Kelvin Mao for D- Dave Stevens, Drawn to Perfection. It started at 15000 and it's, I think now, as of, as of this recording, it went up to about eighty. 79 or 80,000. So it's it's accomplished all its goals. So I'm plugging it right now. But by the time a lot of you will listen to this on Friday, when it comes out on digital and on demand, the Kickstarter will, be, will have been over. But some of the cool things you could have gotten, some of the perks was a Blu-ray of this Kickstarter exclusive, which I'm going to get. And I'm also going to get a Rocketeer one-shot comic. So Sweet. that's, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm excited to get that. This is the importance... Eric actually was really drumming this, hammering this home at the inception of Find Your Film and the importance of physical media. And what he'd do, I remember what he what he used to do. Remember, you did the stuff with the Dean Coons. He was shopping at Entertain Mart, just trying to bring out some of the importance of keeping and curating your own collection. What is that? What do you have? What was that DVD got right there? Intensity DVD. Oh, the intensity. I believe that was one of the first ones we did. Yes, the Dean Coons Intensity DVD, and hopefully down the road, who knows? Maybe I don't uh, know where I left my Dean Coons wallet watch. Somewhere. <laughs> <Dean> Coons, <laughs> yes, very good. Dean Coons wallet watch. I missed that. So very. Yeah, I was going to sing Barbara Streisand's "Memory," but we don't have millions of dollars to go for that song but yes yes so a lot of memories regarding physical media and that's why dave stevens drawn to perfection glad glad it's coming out on blu-ray for the kickstarter people but digital and on demand friday december 2nd my rating for this all that preamble all that talk i'm giving it four and a half out of five with the knowledge that this is right up my alley okay that's my caveat bruce Berkey, your rating on dave stevens drawn to perfection I'm probably three stars on this personally. And I think that, like you said, depending on kind of where your your interests lie, it'll go up or down based on that. Fair. Eric Holmes, rating on the dock. Uh, I'm kind of similar to Bruce, but that's why I'm going to go three-star banger on this. If you're into this, you're going to let this is going to be like five-star movie for you. If you're not, you might get something out of it, but it's not re- really going to be your cup of tea. It really all depends on uh, how interested you are in the subject matter. And for our cinematics people, folks, what is a three-star banger, Eric Holmes? To- it's not really a three-star banger. It's kind of in the middle. Uh, just like I said, if you're into it, you're really going to like it. And if you're not into it, probably not. But, you know, <laughs> it's uh, it, it would be a good example of a three-star banger. Like a like a Steven Seagal movie would be a three-star banger. Yeah, like the people that love yeah. action movies are going to be like, hell yeah, Steve Seagal. And then the people, normal people, would be like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we always describe it as like uh, a movie that 
kind of knows what it is. It isn't shooting for like great art. Yeah. But it's so much more fun than it should be for how, you know, factually, you know, great it is. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just, it's just an okay movie by most counts, but you love the heck out of it. Yeah. You know? they're, they're, this kind of reminded me of, uh, I saw that uh, Harlan Ellison documentary, Dreams with Sharp Teeth. I liked it because I like Harlan Ellison. He's such a curmudgeon. And he's so fun to like listen to and listening to him rant on stuff. So I'm a fan of Harlan Nelson. Um, so I, I've watched Dreams with Sharp Teeth like probably 10 times. Um, and you, and read his, you read his books. You've read his books. Um, yeah, but I mean, his books and him in interviews are two completely different things like him in interviews is like watching a chihuahua bark at a saint bernard or something it's like oh he's angry isn't that cute um <laughs> but uh like i've seen that movie so many times that like i, I got it on I, I bought it on youtube so like sometimes i'll just listen to it uh, just because i love listening to him talk and rant um but the documentary is not good like it's kind of it's kind of a really cheesy bad documentary so that would be an example of a three-star banger. If you love Harlan Nelson, watch Dreams with Sharp Teeth. You'll get something out of it. If you're not already a fan of Harlan Nelson, you'll watch it go, I don't get it. Like, And this this documentary is pretty bad to boot. So, you know, that, cool. and that's kind of where this one is. If you're into it, you're going to love it. If you're into the subject matter, you're going to be all over it. And if not, I, I, actually, it's probably a little better than that because if, if you're not into the subject matter, you still might get a little something out of it that you wouldn't think otherwise. And very quickly before we get into the final things, is I really like the interview. It, it is Talking Heads, but I really enjoy the interviews with some of the select people. You can tell towards the end there is a depth of feeling regarding their respective relationships with Dave Stevens. People, some people get emotional. It's really interesting stuff. It's yeah, I actually wanted, and I said this during the interview that I actually wanted documentaries on some of the people who were interviewed in, in this in yeah. this talk they're just very interesting people so that was just my take and so my take is four and a half bruce three stars three star banger for eric holmes for dave stevens drawn to perfection again friday december 2nd digital and on demand that wraps up our cinematics features for this week before we get to what's in the bleep what's in the bleeping we can still say bleeping right what's in the bleeping box we are going to go down, <laughs> down with Bruce for his recommendation for a segment. Find maybe it's called the Find Your Film segment because he's still finding your film. But I told I told Bruce and Eric, I go, you know what? For cinematics, let's just coast. Let's do fifteen minute. Let's just do a fifteen minute segment for for these installments. No, no, wait. When do we get monetized? Oh, we start getting monetized for our ads starting at the twenty three minute mark. I said, Bruce Berkey. 23 minutes and one second, but no, Bruce, you had to throw some more stuff. Yes, Eric Holmes, you're good about you, it. What you know what say? our Find Your Film segment should be? What? It should be us about to watch a movie and say, what, what, what do you guys want to watch? <laughs> Super Fuzz? Yeah, get, hold, hold on. I got, the, got this around here. So <laughs> pile of pile of DVDs oh, where, here. Where is it? I can't, I can't find it anywhere. It was right here. <laughs> and now it's, oh, you know what? Ah, hell, let's just go on YouTube and run it on there. Very, very, and that'll good. be our find your film segment because we're trying to find it. Find it, find, yeah, very, good. Yeah, very yeah. good, very good, very I, good. I, I miss the days when we were over at Find Your Film where we could swear. Eric would have done a the the monologue funny, a funny monologue with him swearing up and down, left and right. But let's go. Yeah, down. but you get vanilla. You get vanilla homes these days. That's vanilla. Fun. Nothing wrong with vanilla homes. Uh, you know, you you get vanilla Greg and uh, paid off with with Chachki's Greg Srizavasi as well. But no, Bruce does that extra credit because he is currently going down with yes. Naomi Watts. Currently streaming on 
I think it's called Prime Video or Prime <laughs> Video. Bruce, what did you got for us? Uh, this is this. Okay, I saw this popping up on various Twitter feeds and stuff, and I was like, "What is this movie down?" And it just shows somebody <laughs> tearing their face out of like the opening in a elevator shaft, you know, elevator doors. And I looked up and it said it had uh, Naomi Watson. I'm like, "What is this movie?" Can I, I say to- something though? That yes. that that elevator shaft and that poster and the artwork, yeah, stands out. Yeah. It does. So, and then I've discovered, oh, this is a remake of this 80s movie called The Lift by the same director, uh, Dick Moss. And this was made in 2001. The family show. Yes, family. I, know, I know, I know. You know what, Eric Holmes, show. you and I, because we're on cinematics less, now. <laughs> do you need less or Moss? That's what I want to know. Uh, Very good. Dad jokes anyway. on cinematics. Love it. Go ahead. Anyway, so I'm watching this movie and I'm like, how did I never see this movie? This movie is so ridiculous and so. So much money was behind this. This is a big movie. Okay. No. And I was reading, yes. This this movie cost, at the time, it was like 15 or $20 million. This is not a small, little, tiny indie movie. I mean, it's terrible, but not terrible. This is actually pretty good. So, first of all, it was barely released because this movie came out, I believe, it was supposed to come out like right after 9-11. And if you could design a movie to be the worst movie to put out after 9-11, this is it. You know, it's about a skyscraper in New York that has a, essentially a out-of-control elevator system that's killing people, which includes a part in the plot where people are actually joking, because they're joking about this being a terrorist attack on this building, and they're citing the original attack on the Twin Towers, as well as Bin Laden, during this movie. It's crazy. Anyway, that's just Weird. a little okay. a little side. <laughs> this movie is so goofy. It's so 90s, but it's 2001, but it's so 90s. It starts out with these super sexist like uh, security guards like trying to watch the people across the way with the telescope. There's a lightning storm. It hits the building. It unleashes something. It's kind of weird. You don't know what. And then a few scenes later, you have an elevator full of all pregnant women getting stuck and Several of them go into labor. <laughs> and that's the first incident. Uh, let's see. Let's throw in a few other characters in this. Oh, uh, Ron Perlman. Yeah, he's in here. Uh, Dan Hedaya. Sure. He's here too. Michael Ironside. You betcha. Naomi Watts in one of the <laughs> worst roles I think she's ever had. And that includes Tank Girl. Uh this movie is I love so Tank Girl. That was yeah, such so a sweet movie. This movie is so goofy. I want to tell you about some of the scenes because they're so funny, but I don't want to spoil it because the elevator killer scenes and the reason it's happening and the way it ends up is absolutely hilarious. I will say there's a scene with a blind man and his seeing eye dog that's incredible. Uh, there's a scene with some very you know late 90s, early 1000s uh, rollerbladers that's fantastic. Uh, it this movie is ridiculous and so much fun. This we were just talking about it. This it's is unintentionally funny. Unintentionally funny. I think there's a little bit of intention, but not really to the degree that it achieves. No, <laughs> this this movie is so goofy and so weird. It's it's I loved it all the way through. This is the epitome of a three star banger for me. This is absolutely that. Eric Holmes, can you do me a favor? I don't know if you have computer access. Can you go on imdb.com? And look up Dick Moss, M-A-A-S, and look at his profile photo and tell me if the <laughs> shaft was a comedy or not. Because uh, 
That yeah. actually brought me to a Google you probably weren't looking for. Uh, <laughs> Very uh, here, here, here. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Oh, so, oh, wow. folks, get, go to IMDb. Dude, he, looks like, he looks like the Nerdinator. <laughs> the Nerdinator. Okay. Anyways, check out Dick Moss's profile on IMDb. It definitely stands out with the that, shade. Other than like Daniel Scheinart and Daniel Kwan, yeah, that might yes. be the best IMDb picture I've seen. It's amazing. It's oh, amazing. And that that if, is great. If, if you think that Aerosmith's Love in an Elevator is not in this movie, you will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's so cool. Okay, so, Bruce, you said three-star banger. Yeah. So you're telling people to watch this movie to have a good time? They're going to have yes. a good time? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, especially when you look at it now, because, I mean, you think of it, say, like, this was supposed to be released, like, within... I don't know, weeks or months of 9-11, you're going to be like, oh my, oh my, oh my, that's even worse. <laughs> but it's it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm it's interested good. because you said 15 to $16 million in 2000 or 2001. Yeah. Is that, is that money on the screen? It is. It looks, you can tell, you can tell they had hopes for this movie because they definitely put some money into it. And like I said, those actors that I'm naming, we know them, but they were also known at the time. These are faces you recognize. You know, they're not like nobodies. So, and, and Naomi Watts was new at the time, but they were probably had hopes for her too. This was, I guess this happened, this was, was made like months before Mulholland Drive. So this is like right before she just blows up. Is the irony, Bruce, behind this, the fact that you may have liked, you may have preferred down over the last maybe couple of Naomi Watts films we've seen? No, because those were great too for be, being terrible. <laughs> I I think I've come to discover that she is actually kind of a pulpy actress. I always thought of her as being kind of a great actress, and she's actually kind of a pulpy actress. Is yeah, that I, a good? I, is that a compliment? Wonder, Sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I wonder if that has to do with because uh, she kind of, uh, you know, she was obviously in Tank Girl. That was a modest hit, I think. Uh, but no, that I think, bomb, uh, that bomb. But only you and I liked yeah, it. And a few, but I mean, like people. people when Tank Girl came out, people knew what it was. Yeah, you know, it wasn't like yeah. Tank Girl came and went, and everyone forgot about. It. Like, even if you haven't seen Tank Girl, I think a lot of people have heard of it at least. But I think when uh, maybe when she first like Naomi Watts, like bam, Naomi Watts movie. I think that was the Mulholland Drive, which, sure, which yeah. was a big deal. So I wonder if maybe that's what people have in their head when they think Naomi Watts. Well, I think there's that. She did The Ring. She did King Kong. They were really positioning her to be like a big, you know box office you know lead actor you know and i think when i look at her now like i think she's kind of really in her role a lot of her life she's kind of like a john travolta or one of some of these people that like had these big hits but they've also done they've kind of settled into these sort of cheesy roles for a big chunk of their life now did you and, like good night mommy I did not see her remake of it, but I didn't like the original, and I could see it being pretty, pretty um, okay. <laughs> I hope you add "Goodnight, Mommy" Naomi Watts to the box. If you add it to the box and you pick it on Cinematics one week, <laughs> I will be more than happy to rewatch "Goodnight, Mommy." By the way, I say "Goodnight, Mommy" all the time to my mommy, who I still live with. My mommy at fifty-one, Eric Holmes. Have you seen "Goodnight, Mommy"? Either version. I have not. Nor am I going to Google it right now because this is a family show, Greg. <laughs> I meant Dick Moss, Dick Moss, Dick Moss. Okay, look, 
<laughs> what are you having? <laughs> Will you stop saying that? It's that's, the name, that's the name of the, the, the director. And remember, it's Dick Ma's season. And we have we have a lot of presents down the road. One of the presents <laughs> oh, wow. One, yeah. One of the presents. The Gregor Cerizer hands is going to have to go nuts on this episode. Yes, so, is. yes. Again, listeners, it is a clean show. That is the name. Dick it was, a clean show. it was a clean it was show. a clean it was a clean show now that is it three-star banger for down streaming on prime video there's a lot of innuendo let's go to we don't have the the box middle class film class instrumental music anymore like dropping that beat we'll figure something out as far as the port over to to cinematics but this is our what's in the box segment bruce What's in the box? What are you reviewing this week for us? Uh, we're doing Super Fuzz from 1980 by Corbucci, um, also known as Super Super Snooper, I believe. It might have been released in America under that. And then I think since then, it's probably got various re-releases. Uh, also, don't watch this on Prime because it's a terrible transfer. So look for a better version of that. I would just say that. Um, yes, and it, you're right. Terrence Hill plays Officer David Speed. And uh, Ernest Borgnine is the other major star in this movie. And he has probably one of his biggest roles, I think, uh, at that point in his career. I can't think of a bigger role he had because he's all over this movie. Okay, so <laughs> I'll let Eric chime in on this in a minute. Uh, if you don't know this movie, it is a really odd movie. It's somewhere between uh, the great America, greatest American hero made by a... T- an Italian director. Uh, it starts out basically with um, uh, the officer is on death row. He's on your, what is he on death row for? You don't even know he's an officer at that point. They've been trying to execute him in a variety of ways and none of them have worked. And this time they're going to do the electric chair. And as that's about to happen, we have the flashback to find out how did he get on death row? Uh, very quickly, we see that he's kind of this, uh, you know, kind of schlubby cop and he gets sent out to, he says, gets sent out to give a ticket, if I remember correctly, on a Floridian Native American reservation. He goes there to give the ticket. He, he canoes in there on the Everglades. He puts the post the ticket to a totem pole. Yeah, this is not a very sensitive movie. Thank you very much. I don't know if that's very acceptable. Uh, he goes back to his canoe and there's an alligator in his canoe. So he can't get in his canoe. So what does he do? He's going to shoot the alligator. But instead, because he doesn't want to shoot the alligator, he shoots his gun up in the air and it blows up a, like a NASA rocket, <laughs> which causes nuclear material to turn him into super fuzz. And the rest of the movie, he has powers. And um, boy, this movie is really weird and really goofy. Bruce, I'm going to read you something from CombustibleCelluloid.com, penned by Jeffrey M. Anderson. I'm assuming he is the owner of that site. Here it starts. Cop out. Half star out of four. First, consider that Italian directors Sergio Leone and Sergio Corbucci were both doing astounding work in the late 60s with their landmark spaghetti westerns. Then consider that years later, while Leone was working on his masterpiece, Once Upon a Time in America, Corbucci (laughs) was making this truly embarrassing garbage. Embarrassing garbage. Eric Holmes, would you label Superfuzz embarrassing garbage? Because the way Bruce was describing it, it sounds kind of fun. Was it fun for you, Eric? Well, then this one. So this is one I watched when I was a, a kid. Uh, this, 
It came out in 1980, which, by the way, real quick, uh, Ernest Borgnine, um, in, this came out in 1980. In 79, he came off of All Quiet on the Western Front TV movie and The Black Hole. And uh, it was some movie in 1980 when time ran out and Super Fuzz. And right after Super Fuzz was Escape from New York. So, Oh, um, yes. I, I, Ernest Borgnine had a really, really solid couple years there. And, of course, he had a bunch of stuff before that and after that. But uh, this was a movie that I remember watching. And I'm, it, it was on TV when I saw it. So it's, I'm, my guess is probably 81, 82. So I was probably about four or five. And I just remember watching this thing, and I was like, "Oh, it's the it's the guy when he sees red, he loses his superpowers." Which, when I was a kid, that totally made sense. And then, as I grow up, um, as I'm growing up, I'm thinking about that movie that I saw when I was a kid. And I was like, "Oh, what was that movie?" He was like, "He saw red, had superpowers, but when he saw red, like he would fly. And he sees red, oh, and then all of a sudden, he didn't have his superpowers anymore." And it's funny that Bruce, you mentioned Greatest American Hero, because that came out um, like a decade or two ago. That came out on DVD. I was like, "Oh, that that was the movie I was thinking of," but apparently it was a TV show. And I watch it and go, "No, that's not it. That's not it." And then I think it was uh, probably a year or two ago. Um, someone posted something on Facebook. I think it might have been Juan Diego Escobar Azate posted something about Super Fuzz on uh on facebook i was like oh super fuzz that was the name of the thing and then i went and found it on youtube and i watched it again i was like oh this is rough (laughs) (laughs) so to answer the question this movie's rough but this movie is rough it, it, it has a it has a lot of nostalgia factor to me but this is not a movie that I would recommend uh, in good conscience anyone watch. <laughs> but also to Bruce's point, it's so kind of bonkers and weird. Yeah. And it's got Ernest Borgnine. So, you know, why the hell not? It, yeah. well, well, no, Eric, why the, why the heck not? I don't know. Well, here's the thing. It sounds bonkers, but is it fun? Is the movie fun to watch? It's it's rough. It's rough, Greg. <laughs> so. <laughs> This would be something like uh, it, it, it's weird because this is one of those movies that you would get a bunch of people over. It's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna get drunk and watch Super Fuzz and laugh at it. But that, there's also a lot of really boring kind of stretches in it, from what I remember. So it might be like a starting off as a thing that you'll watch ironically, uh, but then you'll get into it and go, all right, all right I, th- I think we're good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Eric Holmes, you're rating. You know up. what? You know what? The the Great Silence exists. Maybe we should just watch that instead. What is your rating on the Great Silence? Oh, I, I, I can't remember what I gave it, but it, it's got to be pretty high. Great Silence yeah. is awesome. I, okay. I mean, if I didn't give it a five stars, I, I probably should have. Yeah, five stars for me for the Great Silence. What is your rating, Eric Holmes, on Superfuss? It'd probably be a one star banger. I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, going. It, to- it, it's not. It's not great, but you know, it's. I mean, it, it's weird because it, it's got a weird nostalgia thing for me. But even then, it's it's not great. But who knows? Maybe you'll watch it and get some fun out of it. Would you have or hammered show, the- or show it to your five year old? Maybe they'll like it like I did when I was five. Would you have been meaner to this movie if it was not directed by Corbucci and you did not have a nostalgic hold to the film? No, no, I, I I don't think Sergio could be. When, when I found out that it was directed by Sergio Curbucci, I was like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know, I didn't know he did that. So it was, it was more of a like 
oh, how about that? Um, but it didn't really didn't really affect my enjoyment or non-enjoyment of it when I watched it again. Bruce Perky, your rating on Superfuzz. And as a side, a side note, were you surprised that Alex Cox's Highway Patrolman is a top five for me of all time? <laughs> no, no. I remember, I remember how much you loved it. Uh, we liked it a lot, too. So I actually am not surprised by that. I thought that was pretty cool. Although there might be some recency bias too. give yourself five years. Who knows? It may sink, but I don't think so. It's a pretty darn good movie. Anyway, this movie, this is not a good good movie, but to its credit, I will say as someone who watched it for the first time, when I got to the end, and I'm not going to say what happens for someone who doesn't want to be spoiled. There's a scene involving chewing gum and saving somebody at the end of this movie. And I described that scene to my son. And he didn't believe that was a thing. Like when I described what happens in the movie, he didn't believe that actually happens in a movie because it's so ridiculous. So to that effect, there is some ridiculous fun to be had here, but I would agree it's a one star banger. One star for both of you. Okay. So look, (laughs) Uh, one one star star banger. 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 You mentioned a scene that your son said did not, was not probably committed, committed to celluloid. Yes. Is that the only reason why you're giving that movie one star? No, there's a few like that. There's a few scenes in there that are like that. This, this feels movie. like a waste of time, this movie. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a waste it, of it time. It kind of is. This is, this is a movie. Okay, I'm going to say how you should watch this movie. This is a movie where you watch the YouTube supercut of the, the dumbest thing in the movie, the dumbest things in the movie, and it might be like about a seven-minute supercut. That's how you watch this movie. The, this movie is actually the equivalent of like a, like, imagine you have a meat cleaver and you cut off your finger. That's not going to be fun, but you're going to have stories to tell for years. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That is pretty graphic. Again, we're still a family show, but we can talk about stuff as long as we don't swear. We're okay. Yeah, uh, kids, don't cut your fingers off. It's don't do that. It. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. But what is worth it? Before we go, let's give some shout outs to some people that we know and love. With There is our buddy, Mitch Burns. He has a new podcast called The Hollywood Persona. I think, I don't know if you listened to it yet, Eric Holmes, but I, Bruce, uh, you you listened to the Mitch's stab at doing movie reviews on his podcast solo. He's not going to be solo all the time, but I, I, I was telling him, I kind of like the uh, the relaxed version because I'm never relaxed. I try to be ner- very very neurotic. Did you like his approach to the Hollywood persona, which is weekly movie reviews like us? I did. I did like it. And I like that he throws in there um, all the you know brand new uh, releases that are coming out and all that too. Uh, yeah, I think it's fun. And I think that when he has someone to bounce back and forth with, it'll he'll probably even be more relaxed. So be curious to hear how that plays out. Speaking of playing out, find your film. Again, our find your film podcast. I'll be doing DVD and Blu-ray reviews and coverage. But if you want some really deep cuts on Blu-ray coverage, go to Jason Kleberg's Force 5 podcast. It's a very, very good podcast. He has different guests in every week. and But he also does Blu-ray, DVD, 4K Ultra HD segments on the Force 5 podcast. Very yeah, actually, Eric, you and Bruce have been uh, know Jason Kleberg. Uh, not you were recently on an episode a, a month ago. What was it, Eric? Yeah, we did. Uh, we did. Uh, Five Kurt with the five Kurt Russell movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, Which we need Bruce, to pay that off. Yeah, we do. Um, because I think he just ran away with it. Should we <laughs> I do? Like, um, I was like, man, you got to escape from New York and the thing in there, and I tried to get away without it. And should we call I, an audible this week know, and do do mean season? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. That's what we're gonna do, right? 
Yeah. Because uh, if you lost, so. I picked the movie. And if I lost, you picked the movie. Yeah. I, I, we, we, uh, we, we gave each other old Kurt Russell movies that we're going to yeah. do. I can't remember. What, was that yours, Mean Season? Yeah. Mine was that because I had never seen it. And I was curious about it. Okay. Well, there you go. Movie. Okay. The Mean Season. You guys are going to cover it down the road on, on the Force Fiber over here on Cinematics. Here. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. They, so, yeah. May, may, maybe we'll just uh, record a quick thing on the weekend and post it on the Cinematics feed or. Or yeah. maybe we'll do it on the show. I, I have no idea. We're just making this up as we go along. Okay, Eric, let, let me tell you something, okay? Um, on Wednesday, I see you and Bruce, and that's enough. So you and you and Bruce, just this weekend, leave me out of it. Lose my number. I'm going to skedaddle. What do you think? What do you say to that, Bruce? Uh, I'm incommunicado. What? <laughs> the mean season. That's me being the – that's my mean season right there. And I'm not going to watch a <laughs> Russell movie. You okay not, with that, Bruce? Not Greg Moss. Greg Less. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that is the mean season, Bruce. Greg's and being Eric. such a dick, Moss. <laughs> dick, very again. We're not using swear words, but we are no, using the no, name no, of the no, director. No. We are using the, the name. The, of- the, this went way off the family train a long time ago. No, no, I, Bruce. I think we 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 did we stay in bounds on the Hayes Code. Were we okay on the Hayes? I, code? I stayed in bounds. I don't know about you guys. I stayed in bounds. <laughs> okay, so hopefully we'll stay in bounds next week for Cinematics episode one hundred sixty-seven. I was going to say what what movies we're covering next week. There's a film. I think we're trying to get the screener links for this film called Return to Soul, and that is a Korean movie again that is supposedly getting a ton of love by critics. Bruce and Eric, do you remember what else we're covering next week? There's a. I'm pulling that right up. Uh, it looks like we got Christmas Bloody Christmas, which is something called Hidden Letters. Okay, Hidden Letters is a documentary. Yeah, we'll see what those are. We'll see what those are, and the. I believe it's called Christmas Bloody Christmas. It is a. I forgot. It's it's directed by the person who helmed um what is it called the vfw okay i think both both of you oh, guys saw that yes there you go now i'm interested, I love interested. That movie. okay yes, yes. Same. okay so we're going to be covering some really interesting stuff next week here on cinematics any final thoughts eric holmes i'm looking forward to christmas bloody christmas <laughs> <laughs> my my brain's right there right now okay yeah yeah very very cool you're gonna probably watch it very very soon and final thoughts on cinematics episode 166 from bruce Berkey. i think that i'm gonna be watching that and my kids and i are gonna go see violent night as well this this weekend and i just saw the trailer for possibly the greatest movie of next year it's a family show bruce i know what you're about to say (laughs) but it's about bear right it's about a bear (laughs) and i can't wait Yes, hopefully we'll be reviewing Cocaine Bear here on Cinematics yeah, as well. Very f- Great. Come on, Greg. You just can't be trusted. You can't be trusted. <laughs> be trusted. With a microphone. No, no, Turn it back. We, we got potty mouth Greg over here. Always with his potty mouth. It's not a microphone. I'm just happy to see you, you and Bruce, uh, Bruce and Eric here on. I was going to say find your film. I was going to say Cinematics. We're going off the rails. Rails. We'll see Where are day. they? Where are those rails? No rails. We'll see you guys next week on Cinematics. Anderson, Cowan, we love you. We're sorry. Bye bye. Hey guys, first off, I really love the documentary. I actually am one of your, uh, this, this was my first Kickstarter campaign that I, I, I don't know, what is it donated to, subscribed to? I don't know what, what's, what's a, back, something back, like that. Yeah, well, support back. is the word. That's part, that's well, part of the word. Yeah, no, thank no, no. Thank, thank you guys. You know, I'm, I'm going to put this part before we start the interview as, because I think there was even like maybe 48 hours before, but can you guys talk about the, Kickstarter campaign. My, I think the what is it? The campaign or the the level I had was originally yeah, oh a reward tier or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> my my tier whatever was originally 
Blu-ray, but then I, I realized about the one-shot Rocketeer comic. Can you guys talk about just a couple of those? That I think that one-shot Rocketeer comic is amazing. So can you guys just talk about those features uh, so I could put it out immediately so people can? Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. Well, the Blu-ray, obviously, the, the main thing is that like you know, we want to do a physical release of the movie. Uh, this is something that isn't done very often anymore, especially for a documentary. It would just come out on Netflix or some other streaming platform, and that would be it. But we're all collectors. This is comic books. This is movies we want to have something we would love to have something physical so that's that was the main impetus to do it to have a blu-ray now the comic book is a sort of interesting organic thing it it it, it actually came to get came about it was conceived during the shooting of the of the documentary where we found out uh the original screenwriter uh co-screenwriter uh danny bilson of the rocketeer film you know his his partner uh paul demeo you know, passed away uh, tragically in 2018, but they had written a Rocketeer story years ago, a short story that didn't get published. And so, you know, you were like, wow. And he, and, you know, Danny wanted to know, is there any way that we could help him? You know, maybe this could get published sometime. We're like thinking about it and, you know, keep it in our, our heads. And then we interview Adam Hughes and we happen to mention it to Adam and Adam is, uh, Dave was a big mentor to him. And Adam is considered kind of the successor uh, in, in many ways to, to Dave Stevens. And when we told Adam about it, he couldn't wait to see it. And loved the story and said, I would love to do this. And then from there, we kind of put together all these things that were leftovers. I'd written a story for Rocketeer Adventures that didn't get published like a decade ago because that that series um, uh, uh, finished out. Uh, and then, um, you know, we interviewed uh, Laura Martin, who recolored all of Dave's work for the collected Rocketeer comics for IW. She you know, colored one of the stories. You know, the executive producer uh, wrote another story with the. Uh, uh, Jay Lee to draw and Jay was just happened to be doing a comic book that Robert and I were co-writing. So it just all just sort of like gelled together this idea of like, we'll do a one shot comic, but with like three short stories with like basically eight people from the, you know, that are credited in, on the project. So, you know, um, as I was, I was joking with Rob before, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, let's three guys, uh, buddies, let's get, make a movie. And then you're making a movie and it's like, hey, what about a bunch of us do a comic book? You know, uh, so that's basically what happened there. Okay, so I usually don't like Talking Head documentaries, but with Dave, Stevens drawn to perfection. I really loved how you're really interested in his life, but you're also interested in the quote unquote Talking Heads, the people who are interviewed in the documentary. You guys really made it made it very immersive, which is I think a very hard to do. So, Rob, for you, just as a producer and editor, how did I'm sure you and Kelvin had so much hours of footage how did you make it interesting as opposed to just being a rote a to b thing you know well, rob just did or, it so yeah. <laughs> you push a button and it just happened now we sorted through over 80 hours of interviews that we shot plus archival interviews of dave because dave had to be a presence in the film we did not want dave was great dave was great the drawing was great we wanted dave to tell a story and, you know, in the end, we were pleased and surprised. I was how much of this is actually Dave telling his own story, supplemented by everyone else. But we started with 80 hours. I had it all on paper. We whittled it down to about a four-hour cut and then to two and a half and then about two. And we kept refining it and moving bits and pieces around. But we, the, the story was there. D Dave tells it and we just had to, you know, whittle away the inconsequential material and bring in the heart and the humor and the warmth. And we had 35 fantastic cast members 
who gave us their time and their stories and their memories and love. And I think it all shows up on that screen. So thank you for saying that you are immersed in it because that was our goal from day one. You know what? I mean, I, I don't know how the interviews took place, but what was it like? Because it seems like you said 35 people. It seems every single one of them had a very deep connection to Dave. What were those talks like? Because you, you had all that footage, but I'm sure a lot of the stuff got really emotional and deep. And that must have been an experience for both of you just to be in that room with so many different diverse um, analysis and reactions regarding Dave. In, the first, go ahead, Rob. I'll do in the room in air quotes because some locations were very small that Kelvin was in the room with an interview subject and I was around the corner listening in a whole other room because we could not fit together. But that's how it worked. Kelvin had an amazing list of questions from all of his research and he would ask them, we'd get great answers. I would take notes. I would star and circle things that were great. And everyone gave us a gem or three. And the story was there. And then we just went through it. And for me, it was learning a lot of this because I did not know a lot of these stories. So I was on this road of discovery that our audience is on versus Kelvin, who's lived with this and knew a lot of these people and his friends with probably half the cast. Yeah, yeah, I, I I had a relationship with a lot of the cast, and this is part of where this the idea came from to do a documentary, to do another documentary about something that we all know and love. Uh, what I was referring to before uh, with Rob was that Rob had just edited another documentary that had a big cast of characters, so this was a new experience for me. But he had just he literally just done this, so so uh, he was our guy from that perspective. And yes, with the questions, we had a list of sort of base questions we asked everybody and, you know, tailored to whether they were an artist or a friend or a family member, but, you know, basically each week or two before uh, an interview, because we we shot mostly on weekends, um, I would just sort of reread old interviews with these people, with the subjects and try and find out, you know, what they have specific to talk about that with the what were the best questions to ask these people this particular person this week about dave stevens and to try and get some of these stories that have been told before maybe on print or in a podcast but on on camera you know where you can see their reactions and, and whatnot okay Calvin, obviously it's a labor of love and obvi- the the point is were you i guess the easy question or the obvious question drawn to perfection were you drawn to his level of perfection as as an artist is that something that either you could relate to or it's something that some like you you never want to get there but you could admire that you know craft because few people maybe even he realize that perfection is probably something that's so elusive did, did you admire that about him and i'm i'm sure his artistry as well that's yeah absolutely absolutely that was one of the reasons why everybody you know contributed a lot of the you know a lot of his friends and colleagues really loved um you know that that was what made him stand above everyone else and make him a true uh, artist artist um and then we i mean i knew him you know i i knew him for you know almost a decade like toward the end of his life so i didn't know him as well or as long as a lot of these people but i did get what what he was driving him and and um and he could not help himself that this is how he did things and so we did try without killing each other to um to try and apply the same thing. And so my my whole approach was like, you know, no one can blame us for not tr- trying really hard because we definitely tried. And I think it ended up there. And if, if Dave is watching us, I hope he gets a little bit of a, a chuckle, at least, out of seeing us attempt to try and meet his standards, which were, you know, so high. I, that's how I see it. I hope 
hope he's at least he's getting a laugh out of it or you know between cursing my name and <laughs> <laughs> you know so a lot of the stuff is inside baseball i'm an on and off comic book fan but for people who are just fans of the movie the rocketeer do you do you have do you guys have a just a general idea why when whenever you mention the name the rocketeer to someone no matter if they're in comic books or not or just cinema their eyes just light up with adoration and love do you guys have an idea of why it's so roundly loved that that image and that story it's it's a wonderful movie it's heartwarming it's not it's not dark it's not like the modern comics have to be dark and violent and foreboding and angry the rocketeer is fun it's lighthearted we're going on this journey with Cliff, and you're seeing his fun. You're seeing when he flies, he's enjoying it. It's his thrill. And you have Jennifer Connelly, who's beautiful. Billy Campbell does an amazing job. And it's just a throwback. I love, personally, I love that 30s aesthetic, almost as much as Dave, that neo-noir sort of thing, the pre-war. It's beautiful to look at. Joe Johnston delivered a stunning film, top to bottom. And I also think it's the music that the music evokes those memories from that film in a way that, you know, very few films do. You, you get lucky with a Star Wars or Superman. The Rocketeer is up there is one of those scores that you hear it and you're transported back to the theater when you're 10 or 15, whatever your age was. And you just have warm, happy memories. Yeah. The Ratatouille moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely the, Ratat the Ratatouille moment. My my one of my big questions with respect to your documentary. When is that documentary? I'm trying to. I don't know. I've looked on YouTube to pronounce his name. Some say Silka. Some say Silk. But when is that documentary on Jim going to ever be made by you guys? Because my goodness, how many hours? And and when Rob, when are you going to start getting on that editing bay to start really working on that stuff? So I haven't left. That that's one of the, that was one of our running jokes as we started interviewing people. Half of our cast can support their own documentary. Their lives are so rich and interesting, and we have 80 hours of footage to work with. So who knows? I'm lucky I, I got to meet Jim Silk and became friends with him through Dave Stevens. So I, I have lunch with Jim Silk like every other week, and Rob joins sometimes. Silk is a great guy with you know with, with also his own amazing um, career. Uh, so, so we definitely could jump off in other directions uh, post Post this, but um, you you mentioned the whole inside baseball thing. That was a real uh, uh, sort of tough line to walk. We discussed all the time doing this, you know, because there was the idea of trying to make it broad and accessible, and then there's also the you know we tried to put in those things when they spoke to something about Dave's personality. Because I'm of course trying to somehow impress upon the audience like a person that I knew, you know, and how can I get across who that person was to me? And he was very unique. So that was a tough uh, balancing act. And the Rocketeer stuff, you know, someone could do an entire making of Rocketeer, the movie documentary for sure. But we were trying to really focus on on Dave as the person and the artist. So. Yeah, I was, Kevin, I was looking at a past interview and I think it was some, I forgot what publication it was. It was several years ago and you were doing it for 10 minutes gone. And you were saying one of the your inspirations as a screenwriter was actually, I believe, either reading the script for brick or watching the film or maybe both i remember uh, recently i saw this quentin tarantino thing what and he, he was saying that when he first read the script to i think it was walter hill's 
um, hard times, it inspired him to become a writer. So what was it about Brick as a screenplay that actually maybe aided you on your path, even though, you know, maybe you had a day job or a second a primary career? You know? We still have day jobs. I know, right? Don't we all? <laughs> um, we, uh, oh, Brick, it was just, it, I, like Rob, love like noir, uh, film noir. And, and Brick to me was just a great, the, it was all about the language and the cadence. They were able to tell a story, you know, contemporary setting in high school with younger people, and very quickly drop you in with the cadence and the 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 the, the, the vocabulary into what felt like an old hard boiled uh, uh, you know noir, and um and and it was done very economically, you know, and very cheaply. And so, as a writer, you're always looking for well, how can I write something this clever where you don't need a lot of money, where the story is what shines, you know, the dialogue and characters. Um, you don't need that much money. And to me, that was a great inspiration from that respect. It just, you know, Ryan Johnson did it with, I don't know how much it was, but it mean, it might not have been that much more than what we spent on this documentary, <laughs> you know, I think a high school in, in somewhere in California. So uh, that's, 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 that's why it, it was. And it does connect to this in some ways, just because of the time period. We all love, uh, uh, you know, these period old Hollywood, uh, you know, the trappings. So, so I haven't been to my local comic book store in about, about a year and a half. I am going to pick up pick up um, Seven Sons if they have some back issues. If not, maybe wait wait for the graphic. Maybe pay extra for the back issues. What can you guys tell me about it? And what was if that? You're in LA, you can just come over. We can give you some comps. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I'm I'm driving right now, so no, I, I'm not going to bother you guys. You guys are too busy with everything. But what can you tell our listeners about Seven Sons and that whole experience? Yeah. Oh uh, well, yeah, that's uh, something that also happened during the course of uh, of, of Drawn to Perfection. Um, uh, Robert Wyndham and I, uh, our exec producer, were you know co-writing this thing. It was actually Robert's idea. Uh, I just came in to sort of help you know you know build it out into like a seven issue. And I actually was six issues, and then I wrote one too long. And then somebody, I think it's Jay Lee, was like, "Hey, it's seven sons. Why don't we make it seven issues?" So we chop one of them in half. And that's how you end up with seven. Although the last issue is so long, uh, it'll be out on Wednesday next next week. So you'll be able to get inclusion there. And hopefully it was just, again, much like the documentary, just a bunch of guys, you know, a couple guys having fun trying to do something creative, you know, with, with friends, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's all I've, I've got to say. I don't want to do any spoilers, but you know, it was, it was a, it was a definitely an interesting experience, you know, a different type of story. So. Rob, were you were you surprised by the Kickstarter and the overall support regarding this whole documentary? Because you know, you you guys set a, a sort of a, a benchmark. I think was it fifteen or sixteen at the beginning? And I just I love the doc, and I went on. I go, wow, uh, what five to six? Oh, well, almost five times more than the actual. Were you surprised? And how? What was that experience I, like? I, just seeing, yeah, I was. This is our. I think for all of us, our first time doing a Kickstarter, so we had no idea what to expect. We sort of followed the mold. There's another great documentary that came out on Mike Mignola, and we spoke to their director, and he sort of helped us through and gave us advice. But we didn't really know what to expect. And so when we hit our number, and then 200%, 300%, 400%, you know, we may have had internally our own thoughts, but to see it exceed it, and we have two more days left, and we're hoping to hit a thousand backers, I think just show the people love physical blu-rays of the movie and the appeal of an exclusive comic with adam hughes artwork and the bill Fintamale story 
in the other stories and pinups, it's a very attractive package to comic fans, racketeer fans, movie fans in general. Yeah, my final question to you guys, going back to the Blu-ray thing, is I'm one of those guys. I don't have thousands and thousands of Blu-rays and DVDs in my house, but I'm going to amass that that level because I have this conspiracy theory that with all the streamings, it's still there is a relevance and importance to having a personal curation regarding your own discs. Is that you know, Kevin, you're a collector, lifelong collector. Is that is there validity validity to uh, to that, or is that just being a hoarder? Is you know so. Well, I, 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 unfortunately, I don't flip the camera around so you can see my and turn off this this fuzziness so you can see my eyes. You know, I think especially with the pandemic and everyone was home and watching them since streaming, a lot of their entertainment feels a little bit more sort of like disposable isn't the right word, but it's a transient thing. You watch it, you're done, you move on to the next thing, and you just hit a button and something else comes up. But like much like books, I still buy hardcover books. If there's a book that I'm Eric Larson puts out a book, you know, uh, I'm going to go buy that book. You know, because I want to sit outside under the sun with it in my hands. You know, I mean, I read on Kindle or something if I sometimes, but I would, but there's sort of an experience there with the paper and whatnot. Sit there and, and it's the same thing I think with movies. You know, you buy the ones you really love and you have a uh, attachment to. You know, I mean, that, that's, you want to be able to see it on your shelf and, you know, the poster, the artwork and, and, you know, all that stuff. So, and then, then the, and, and the extras. We're going to have Rob has cut together a great selection of bonus scenes that we've just been like, it's just been pouring out of us. This is totally unexpected. We didn't plan this, you know, for the updates. That's part of what happened with things going so crazy. We're like, oh, let's try and do something for people. You don't get those, you know, on the streaming version of the, you just get the movie and a little bit of a blurb with the list of the cast, you know, here, you know, the supplemental, I mean, the Mike Mignola one, I had a whole, whole disc worth of stuff you know i don't think we'll be able to do that but you know it's it's this is a way we can get the extra stuff on there there was so much stuff that didn't make it in that that is great great stuff you know and part of it was you know uh, casualties of your uh inside baseball you know discussions so oh my goodness i'm i'm a little bit frightened rob are you still in your room editing away <laughs> i will never confirm or deny that but i've not done in a week and a half <laughs> I love the documentary. Thank you guys so much for your time. And, you know, hope I can't wait to this, for this duo to do another documentary. So much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for having us. All right. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye.